and welcome to this week's episode of the Nesson Dorma Draft. Somehow, the 2023 Cricket World Cup is still going on, but we're in our final week. We're in the exciting knockout stages, two semi-finals and a final ahead of us. And what better chance then to look back at some of the more um, well-loved and romanticised tournaments of all this time, 1992, down under. I'm joined by Rob Smythe, as always. How are we, Rob? He's muted, that's how he is. <laughs> I'll be fine just as long as I've uh, unmuted. Yes, I'm good, and I'm not going to be sledged into uh, uh, throwing my own team under a bus like I was in the 99 draft. <laughs> After which I realised my team had the most runs and the most wickets, but let's not get into that because, as I speak, the poll's got on about 40 minutes left and Miller's over 50%, so congratulations. Well, thank you very much. He doesn't, he does indeed. Speaking of which, Andrew Miller, uh, romping ahead of, of uh, World Cup 99. How confident are you this week um, of uh, victory? Well, I, I based my 1999 squad, my 1999 squad entirely on vibes rather than stats. <laughs> so if, if I go on vibes again, I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll coast home. So here we go. Incredibly, Jonathan Hingen did not win, even though he had Gavin Hamilton in his team, which I would have assumed would have uh, been an absolute um, fast-forward straight to victory. How are we, Jonathan? How, how have you recovered from a, a difficult week in the polls uh, and ready to do battle again? Well, last I checked, I was second. Am I no longer second? Is no, that... you're second. Don't worry about that. Oh, that's, you take that. take that. Also, Martin, I am concerned. I was wondering, there are no Scots in today's draft. So yeah. I apologise. Yeah, well... There are still a few players with which to choose. And making it even harder this week, um, <laughs> Gary Naylor's with us to make up a, a foursome, which is going to be very difficult to uh, get that spread of players. But welcome, Gary, uh, another cricket nerd, of course. Um, how different do you think this will be from your previous travails in the world of football? Um, I think it'll be exactly the same. I'll pick players on very personal criteria which nobody else will care about nor understand and my team of 10 David Hussies and a wicketkeeper will finish last in the poll that's what I completely expect to happen Andrew um, this was the fifth World Cup but the first in many ways the first uh, in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand the first that has incorporated the newly then um, post-apartheid South Africa and everything we we associate with World Cup cricket now coloured uniforms white ball floodlights black sight screens um, that was all kind of new then is there a lot of nostalgic warmth towards 92? Yeah, there certainly is. I think there's um, a lot of warmth towards this because it's um, certainly the first one I remember um, in 1992. I would have been about 13, 14, I suppose. And I remember, obviously, it was, it was on Sky. So it wasn't, um, it didn't have the sort of pickup that you might um, might have got from a World Cup previously. But it certainly had a had a, a distant sort of neo, neon glamour to it with all the floodlights and, and, and the strips, which, as far as I'm concerned, have never been bettered. I think the the, the the strips in that tournament are iconic and remain so. Um, but really, it was kind of a follow-on from Ker uh, Kerry Packer's World Series. I mean, if you think about it, it was in 1977 to, what, 79, 80, the World Series. So this was only 12, 13, 14 years later, which is absolutely no time when you think about 12, 13, 14 years in, in this modern era, talking back to the 2007 World Cup. I mean, it's absolutely no turnaround. And it's... um. 
everything that had been sort of forecast in Kerry Packer's brave new world finally came to fruition on the global stage. And uh, uh, it, it had kind of, kind of been heading that way when the World Cup went off to India in 87 and people started realising, OK, this is a bigger deal than the slightly tin pot tournament that it was when it was back in England. Uh, but yeah, it sort of grew up a bit in uh, in in the course of those two tournaments, and uh, suddenly it was uh, a really quite spangly event, sort of up there with the, the football World Cup we'd had the 1990 Italia yeah. 90 and Nestor Dorma and all that only two years earlier, and this was a pretty good retort to 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 that sort of um, that sort of glamour and and felt felt like it. Yeah, this cricket's a big player in the, in this in this world stage at last. Jonathan, uh, Andrew mentioned Sky there. Uh, how was that coverage, and how, what difference did that make to kind of casual cricket observers back home? I, I'm guessing here you you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but would Sky have had the 1991 Ashes series? Would they have shown that, and therefore yeah. people, yes. people all of a sudden st- started to be just getting used to the, the mm. fact that well, live cricket overnight you can maybe watch. The start before you go to bed, you get up early, and it's just a different habits about how we we kind of consume sport, I suppose. Sure. No, I do recall, obviously, yeah, the the the, the big deal. I think it was eighty nine ninety. I think Rob will correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. No, that's right. 80, yeah, that's when, when Sky first took the England overseas, and then obviously they got the World Cup. I I remember fondly on that point about TV because we actually got Sky TV delivered and installed for the Cricket World Cup. My dad is mm. a fanatics where I get it from. And it, he was, and it, you know, I was delighted. And a few months later, they announced they had the Premier League football. So it's yeah, <laughs> good timing. But yeah, I remember getting installed. The, the thing, what I recall most is obviously I followed as much as I could on the TV, having Sky. But it was just the radio consumption was still huge. Like it was still yes. a big thing for England cricket fans to listen to England overseas at all times of day or night on the radio, which now would seem crazy. Like now, if you say to somebody, I'm getting up at four in the morning to watch the Ashes, they're a bit like, oh, you're a bit of a fanatic, but they get it. The idea of waking up at four in the morning or staying up late to listen to the radio, um, which is what yeah. people did. You know, I remember yeah. even going, some of these games overlapping with early morning in school. I particularly remember England's run chase for South Africa being and my teacher, you know, English, who cricket fanatic, having the radio on in class, listening to England go, you know, come home in that game on the radio. And that was how it was consumed. That was a big part of it all. So. Yeah. It was good. I, I think it was until probably 2019. It's the World Cup for me that I think caught the imagination in England the most. The most momentum. I think the fact that, yeah, we'll get onto it later, but the number of legends still playing in cricket at this event. I don't think a tournament's ever had the number of big names playing in it that this one had. It's just extraordinary the crossover <coughs> of legends and to be legends as well. It's just incredible. So. We'll see how many legends and to be legends uh, we, we we get on on these drafts. Rob, um, two hosts, um, two clear well not clear favourites, but certainly favoured teams. Uh, Australia in the nineteen nineties uh, and cricket go hand in hand. Not quite there yet. A bit of a disappointing one for at least one of the hosts. Yeah, <clears throat> Australia were huge favourites. I mean, you think what's happened to England in twenty twenty three? What's happened to what happened to Australia was probably far worse, at least in terms of shock value of them not reaching the semis, not necessarily the scale of the defeats. But they were they were hosts, they were holders. They were effectively in this World Cup, India and England, because they were the best team in the world. They'd won about three quarters of their games since previous World Cup. Hosts and holders, they had Dean Jones, who was the number one by a mile. And it all kind of went wrong really quickly. They got ambushed on a very slow pitch in New Zealand, co-host in the first game. And they never really recovered. And yet, interestingly, despite having a really terrible time. They almost sneaked through. Um, had Pakistan lost their last group game to New Zealand, Australia would have gone into the last game against West Indies, which they won. 
knowing that a win would put them through. As it transpired, they went into the game knowing all they had to do was potentially put West Indies out and put Pakistan through. But yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying they had a... I still think, just in terms of shock of them not reaching the knockouts, I still think it's the biggest World Cup shock, personally. But actually, it made Got sense it. in hindsight because, sorry, they were, they were playing bloody first-class cricket like a week before the World Cup, um, which now obviously looks crazy, but uh, yeah. Gary, where does 92 sit then in the, the pantheon of cricket World Cups? For me, it doesn't quite have the glamour and the kind of shock of the new of 1975. I was 12 in 1975 and see all those players in England and those beautiful whites they were playing in and the red ball and Tomo and all the rest of them uh, there. Uh, that was tremendously exciting, Clive Lloyd's 100 in the final of 82 balls, um, lest we forget. Um, but a Lancashire fan as well was just just great. But it, it certainly sits up there, I think, with, with the best since that uh, shock of 75. And, um, you know, I, I remember enjoying it, but I'm, I'm slightly fearful of my memory because I have a very strong memory of watching the semi-final uh, England against South Africa with its famous denouement in a pub in Soho. And I looked it up and it would have been a Sunday morning. Now, it's not impossible yes. for me to be in a pub uh, in Soho on a Sunday morning, but far less likely than any other day of the week, to be honest, uh, usually as a result of excesses of Saturday night. So, um, but uh, you used to have to go looking around for pubs that were showing the cricket there. Not every pub had a television, not every pub had Sky Sports and the, and the rest of it. So, um, but I have a really strong memory of being in the pub. Uh, but um, maybe, maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't. You get to a certain age when you'll just never know. <laughs> okay, let's get to the important stuff then, guys. The well, the draw, which uh, will determine uh, a lot, as always. The teams are in, uh, the names are in alphabetical order now. I'll press the green button and let's see what we get. It's Andrew, oh, Jonathan, Gary, God. and Rob. Uh, Rob's again. last again. <laughs> well, this is the um, this is the Ian Botham selection draw, isn't it? This, yeah. <laughs> it is me. Okay. Um, so, well, Andrew, then first up, one right. So, so th this is a dilemma because I, I really, really want to make the banter selection, but I really <laughs> also speak as an anagram. So, um, <laughs> um, no, I got I, having having based my glorious win in 1999 on a bowling attack led by Wasim Akram, it would be remiss not to pick him. Um, I'll, I'll have him, thanks very much. I mean, 18 wickets in the tournament, left armour, and obviously that spell in the final, the two ball, two ball double whammy to, to turn the game on its head. Um, I mean, I said it all last week for the 99 tournament that he was the greatest exponent of his art that's ever been produced in 1999. He was hitting his absolute peak in, in 1992. He was just about to become uh, the upcoming great. He, obviously, Imran Khan, the team is, is synonymous with Imran Khan, but Wazim Akram was his acolyte and his heir in every sense in that tournament. Um, he seized the moments. He lumped it as well with a bat, which you know, can never overlook, and particularly in, a, in what was a very low-scoring tournament. We'll get you into know, some of that later on, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, he didn't get to double figures till the final, which makes what he did in the final even more remarkable. Like 33 off 18 or something, which is a yeah. 
ridiculous rate in those days. Absolutely. And what, I remember watching that 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 yeah. final back with a retro retro log oh, yeah. for a Kimpo, and he he his impact even more than Zaman was was absolutely yeah. transformed in that final. I he agree. really uh, turned on the afterburners after a ponderous build. I mean, Javid Meander and, and Imran had had rebuilt the innings, but you know it, it did not look like they were going anywhere, and then suddenly they were out of sight. It was um it was remarkable. But yeah, I'll, I'll whack him in at number eight and um, see where we end up. I'll tell you what, if the right. third umpire was calling no balls, he'd still be trying to get through his turnovers now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Wazim is first up. Gary, you have everybody oh, it's me. in. It is. Right. Yeah, no, um, it's Jonathan. Sorry. sorry yeah, it's I, Jonathan. So. I was going in alphabetical there. Jonathan is next up. Sure. So I am. Last that way as well. I am absolutely desperate to get beefy in my lineup. Um, it's a low-scoring World Cup, therefore, yeah, it's got to be Martin Crow. Crow and Akram are the two outstanding selections. A bit like we discussed at Klusner and Warren for '99. It's it's Crow and it's Wazim. So uh, Martin Crow is phenomenal. So he's going into my side. And where is he going? Number four. He batted at four, didn't he? Um, yeah, he'll go in at four. Yeah, he batted four. Yeah, I mean, he can bat anywhere three to three to five. He was that good, but he's going to go. Up it's provisional anyway. You can, yeah, but uh, well, a phenomenal performance from that man. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand probably would have won the well, sorry, New Zealand would have probably got to the final if he'd stayed on the pitch in the semi final because everyone remembers Inzamama's innings. But if you ask any New Zealand fan, they say it was John Wright's captaincy that cost him that semi final because Crow couldn't go and couldn't captain them. So, do you know the story, which I didn't until I watched some. Thing just while well, preparing for this. So basically, two things. Crow could have captained, but he decided the hamstring was borderline, therefore he should yep. um, save it for the final, potentially. Also, I'd forgotten, he was run out by his runner, Mark Greatbatch, and then he had given John Wright a load of plans. They had already planned the innings, and Wright just ignored it. <laughs> Crow, yeah. Crow yeah. Throws, uh, throws really firm about it. He, he also blamed, he said he still ultimately blamed himself for not going out with a hamstring yeah. injury. But Wright just went off piste, which is astonishing given how well their plans have worked. It's worth to quickly Crow's numbers four, five, six runs, top scorer, average 114, strike rate 91, which in those oh, days, astonishing. it was, he was a great player all the time, but for that month, he was like a great player in the zone. It was, and it's, it's really quite heartbreaking that they, that not only they wouldn't make the final, yeah, or that he didn't run yeah, he did say the 2015 final. He felt like that was his final because he had the you know, semi-final. Yeah. Oh, 20, yes, yes, cool. Yeah, you know, it wasn't long before he died. Yeah, but also because he coached. I think he's the batting coach of Ross Taylor and the one. Sorry, the other one name escapes me. But he coached two of the young Kiwis in that team, and he said seeing them in the final made up for not getting to the 92 final because you know he'd mentored a couple of those players. But um, yeah, he was phenomenal. The, the funny thing about that John Wright story is the fact that John Wright then ended up becoming one of the best international coaches of all time. Yes, I know. There's so a bunch of contradictions because he was yeah, he yeah. showed himself to be a brilliant. He he started the modern India, really, John Wright, took them into professional era. But yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Heartbreak for New Zealand at World Cup, nothing new. Uh Gary. Well I I would have picked Martin Crow just on the aesthetics. You know, he and Mark War were the two most elegant right handers I can recall seeing play the game in any of its formats and uh, gone at 53 martin crow what a tragedy that was um i'm gonna i'm gonna pick um imran khan um his numbers are fine but it's really for his leadership um 
extraordinary to be able to get the best out of the young guns uh, and the old heads that are in that Pakistan team. You know, everyone knows the, the cornered Tigers quote, but the reason why we remember it is because they did play like cornered Tigers. Um, so I, I was tempted to say if he didn't score a run nor take a wicket, I'd still be picking him. But I'll say instead that if he'd uh, contributed the way Mike Brearley contributed to the 81 Ashes, I would still have picked him. Uh, and he did a lot more than that. So... Imran Khan in it uh, as usual with Imran he'll play whatever he wants but uh, I'll put him in at six okay okay and six he will go Rob, leaving the, Rob it's all clear for you then isn't it for, for the man so, you know. uh, shall I bother picking anyone <laughs> okay in, in a desperate attempt to nobble you all because I'm already in a bad mood about being last again I'm going to pick the only two decent spinners in the tournament <laughs> at yours. So first, Mushtaq Ahmed, um, who would have been who was in my top two picks anyway. Um, just a fantastic wrist spinner. Basically, they were so rare having bowlers in this tournament who could take this was good batters in the middle overs. Now Mushtaq did that constantly. He got 16 wickets, no one else got more than eight, no spinner. And the spinner who got eight is coming in my team as well, so don't get too excited. Um, but he routinely like remember the final he bowled a brilliant googly that made Graham Hook very silly. The game they had to win against New Zealand to have any chance of reaching the semis. He bowled something like 10 overs, 2 for 18. Um, just, yeah, people just didn't have a clue at that stage. And it ties in with what Gary said about Imran, really, attacking captaincy. Imran kind of spins it a little bit because he said after the tournament, we had specialists in England had bits of all-rounders. Now, Pakistan generally had at least two clowns in their team, which made their win even better. People like Wazim Haider, Eric Basakanda, Ijaz Ahmed, who was a good player, but wasn't at this tournament. So the two... Two and a half bowlers, Wazim and Mushtaq, were absolutely key. They don't even get close to winning without them. So the other thing with Mushtaq, weirdly, is he actually kept Pakistan in the tournament with the bat. Because when he got bowled out for 74 by England, he batted for something like 15 overs at number 10, coming in at 40-odd for eight. Now, if he Mushtaq was a terrible batsman. I couldn't believe this. But if he doesn't, if he goes first ball, they lose that game. They're bowled out for 50. They eventually go out. Anyway. The other one is Dipak Patel, who famously mm. put the squeeze on everyone with a new ball. I mean, I wrote this down because this is ridiculous. His, now, there are a few things here. Basically, before there were 790 ODIs before that World Cup, and only in five of them had a spinner open the bowl. And this is all countries, not New Zealand, obviously. Um, and basically, he only found out two days beforehand. The coach, Warren Lees, just said to him casually in the nets, why don't you bowl the new ball? And he did okay. And he said, Why don't you have another go? And then Crow, then he was told on the way home, it's a lot, we might pick you. We might you might take new ball against Australia. He hadn't played, he played three ODIs in three years. They weren't picking a spinner, and then they changed their minds. But his figures just in the power play, they sound like Jack Leach bowling to Craig Brathwaite, which I know Miller likes mm. to revisit. 47 overs, seven maidens, four for 106. That's in the power play. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now he did get tagged slightly in the semi-final at the death, but he won't be bowling at the death in my team. Basically, won't bowl later than the first 25, 30 overs. They'll just bowl through. I mean, the figures are ridiculous. First spell against England, five overs, one for seven, and on and on. I mean, yeah, it was people just didn't have a clue. Um, and they just kept doing it because it worked. I think it was only one game he didn't open the bowling. So, yes, he will bat probably, yeah. I mean, he could bat eight probably because he, he was a reasonable batsman although he didn't really show it in this tournament, but yeah. So those are the two spinners and sod you all. <laughs> They're back at eight then. Um, Mushtaq at nine? 
Probably, probably yeah. They might go. They might go down one each, depending. Yeah, you can, you can move. Not, yeah, you can move a boat. Back to Gary, then, please. No, it's Jonathan, I think. Or is it no, me? It's you. No, it's you. Oh, right. Um, well, I'm going to go for John. Yeah, I'm going for Javid Miandad. Um, a super experienced player. Uh, came good when he needed to come good. Played important innings at the back end of the series. Was still pretty good in the field as well, and could start an argument in the phone box. So uh, he's he, what you need under the Australian sun, or indeed under almost, the Australian dark. Which you almost did with Kieran Moray. <laughs> He did. He did indeed. It's a great. It's the photo, isn't it, with the the batting yeah, hand? Jump up. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, well, he's going to he's going to bat at number four, but a bit like Imran Khan, I'm not going to argue with him if he wants to do three or five. So. Okay, you can have that then, Jonathan. Please, I will be selecting Lord Botham. <laughs> oh, You've been sucking into it. Uh, look, you, we, we can laugh all we like at the shape he was in. We can laugh all we like about the fact that he really didn't actually pinch here at the top of the order. Not really, apart from in one game and even then. But the point is, he got he's the second highest wicket taker in the tournament. Economy rate of 3.43. He did, and to that point, he got some tap in the in the final, obviously, late on in the semi-final. But great numbers with the ball. And he was effective. And he got big wickets. The ball to Tendulkar, we all remember. But ultimately, he's got 16 wickets. So he's been one of the best bowlers in the tournament. And if you add his, if you look at his runs as a bit of a bonus, I know England didn't. They chose him as a top, you know, specialist bat. He's still got enough runs. You've got a, got a 50 and a 40 and a couple of 20s. It's fine. And just by being there and his presence in the team will mean I've got a better chance of winning. because His performance is no, I, I, I've got very strong opinions about about both of them in, in 1992. <laughs> this this occurred to me again during 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 the pandemic when when we were reappraising everything we'd ever watched in cricket because there was no live cricket going on, and it was then I realised that in all of his entire career, the single greatest performance that Ian both <laughs> ever produced in the 1992 World Cup. It is because he relied entirely. On chutzpah and bullshit yeah. and reputation, <laughs> yeah. absolutely no form whatsoever. I mean, he was he was he was in the bloody king in the pantomime, and I actually went to watch him in Bournemouth, 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 Bournemouth Palladium. Uh, I saw him in the king, and he was he was outshone by Zippy and Bungle on stage in, in the pantomime, and that was just prior to flying out to the to the um, to New Zealand. Rob tells a great story in the, in the book he did with Robin Smith about the eve of his under-test oh, yeah. in New Zealand when he hired a helicopter to fly across the Cook Strait to go to a vineyard, dragged a few of, few of the few of the other players with him, rolled into the team meeting at 6pm on the dot on the eve of his, te- his the test day match. before, yeah. Absolutely preposterous. But again, if you look at the vibes that both yeah. brought yeah. to the team, it, it's, it, you know, it's a bit like... You know, a bit like Ben Stokes' impact on this tournament. You can you can look at the stats in retrospect and decide that he's he's stodged around and not really been worth it. Or you can just think every time he came to the crease, you're expecting something here. Yep. And even if it's your expectation is based on nothing but but precedent and and what he's what he's got before rather than what he's got now, you cannot deny that going into that World Cup final, admittedly he got found out, got got beaten up, beaten up with the ball, and got that got that duck. But until that moment, he was found he out. Know, he he didn't didn't well, he didn't, but that's by, that's by the by. So yeah, I'd have picked him. Um, and yeah. you know, you, you you can't argue with the with the, the stage presence that he he brought, in spite of the fact that 
absolutely everything about his game was completely eviscerated. I, did, I watched Sky, Sky recently showed the extended highlights of his famous game, the Australia, and obviously yeah. everyone remembers the fourth third. He bowled a good. I was actually very impressed by the bat, the batting. I watched yeah. him. He, he's batting. He batted properly. He played some great shots down the ground. I, I yeah. and I saw his forty-seven v Sri Lanka. He batted really well in those innings. He just didn't come off very often. England. He was a bonus opening up. Ideally, he would have been at six or seven. But actually, England had so much depth they could afford to have the wild card at the top, so it worked. Imagine that really put the wild card though. at the top, Jonathan. Um, it's a good question, Martin. I don't. I personally don't think he should be opening. But I, let's have him. Let's have him at two for now, and may move him later depending on how it works out. Because I might end up with him at seven. But he's a top six batsman who can bowl ten over, so he's absolutely he, he's worth it. Oh yeah, Andrew, you have two. I've got two. Well, I, I might pick both the wicket keepers then, just to piss you off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I will. It's a toss-up for me. Um, I'm going to pick one wicket keeper. Um, I think just because I'm going to go for Andy Flower, just because he it was the first chance that he had to just show what he could have been capable of if he'd had a chance to play a a longer more fulfilling career at international level and, and be for a stronger team uh but you know in he comes uh i don't know how old he would have been then but he but you know he looked like a grizzled veteran he got that century admittedly against um uh against sri lanka wasn't it but um nonetheless he, he got the runs on the board opened the batting as a keeper as well which um was was not a not a, not a standard tactic in those days. obviously gilchrist made a made a made a habit of it later on but uh he just looked like Someone who set apart um, Zimbabwe, and you know they they obviously beat England as well. Um, as we discussed in the last pod, they they probably reached their apogee seven years later in '99. That was probably the strongest iteration of, of Zimbabwe on the, on the world stage. But um, Flower was their greatest player, and uh, this was this was the first time he got to got to prove it on on the world stage. And and you know again going back to that England win. Um, they, they, I think, beat England in each of their first three ODIs, didn't they? In, uh, in the 1997 um, back-to-backs as well. With Ed O'Brandis, I shouldn't mention his name because someone will pick him up later. Um, but, you know, the, he he was a, a proper proper player with a proper technique and, and a game brain as well. So I'll, I'll pick him off for my first... He'll go right to pick. the top, I presume. He'll go right to the top, yeah, have him, have him opening. And who else do I want? Um... Gosh, there's not much point in going for any spinners, is there? They're all gone already. Um, I'm going to pick off Inzi. Uh, again, Inzi had a tournament that was breakout. That performance in the semi-final was something that, you know, we saw a bit more of this with later on when, you know, Lance Klusner was beating people up in 99. But the impact of someone who just comes in and scores at a rate that no one else can touch um was was just transformative in in this tournament it, it really it set set pakistan back on course having having a guy like him and obviously as a young sylph like Indy in those days uh, not 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 the not the massive juggernaut that that would uh, be the later iteration he was uh, athletic even um or, or maybe maybe never quite athletic but he certainly certainly didn't have the bulk on him and um he had the, he certainly had the power uh and yeah if you Everything we talked about, Martin Crow and, and the missed opportunity that he had to, to to get to that final, that final was basically swiped away from him by Indy's innings. It was mm-hmm. the probably the most important knock of 
of the tournament even. Um, I mean, you know, Jarvid and Jarvid and, and Imran Jarvid, Jarvid had a, had a vital role in the final, but but he wouldn't have got there if it hadn't been for Inzi's afterburners. I think it was the most memorable inning, sixty off thirty-seven in those days when they needed about eight and over, which is probably twelves now. A couple of things. Guess how many times he was run out in the tournament? I'll say once by John T. Rhodes. Four. 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 Okay, fair enough. Including the same <laughs> final. So the run-out problems weren't just to do with his bulk. But I agree with you. It's interesting, actually. He had a poor tournament overall, but ultimately he wins this semi-final and final. And when he went to number six, because they're back in two and three, but at number six, he had a strike rate of 130. So few death hitters in this tournament, which kind of really sets him apart. Okay, where's Enzi going then, uh, Andrew? I'll put him at put him at six for the moment. That yeah, was his best spot in that tournament. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it's interesting. That's why Imran was taking so long to get in, wasn't it? Because they had Salim Malik at five, who was in diabolical form. Enzi, who they knew was talented but hadn't really delivered, and then just a lower order. But it kind of just worked perfectly. It was so the whole thing was so fragile, the tactic, but it worked. Okay, Andrew Flower, Enzi Mamulhak, and Wazim Akram is in Andrew's team at the moment. Jonathan, who who's the next Vibes player to join? Um, <laughs> well, hang on a minute. In, Martin Crow. Inzi's a proper Vibes pick, I think. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I'm, yeah, I'd probably go back to basics, actually. Um, I, I'm really glad no one picked him up because um, I'm going to go Peter Kirsten uh, because... Mm. One of the things that I think makes the 92 Cricket World Cup so special is the fact that it was South Africa back on the sports stage. I, growing up, I, I barely even I barely even understood that South Africa played international sport. It just wasn't a thing in the 80s. It's like I, I didn't even know they had a rich history. Not really. Not in any sport, whether it be rugby, cricket, you know, mm. even, even at the Olympics. It just wasn't a thing. And then it was just announced all of a sudden that South Africa were at the Cricket World Cup. I was like, my goodness, like... Are they going to be any good? I remember doing uh, a table, uh, writing up my my thoughts of the table ahead of the World Cup, and I had South Africa bottom because I was like, how on earth could they compete? They've come out of nowhere. They're going to be worse than Zimbabwe. And um, I was completely wrong about them. And uh, I remember watching a game, I think, where Kirsten got 90, and they were all out for 190, and he just he, he carried their batting, and he was unbelievable. He was also about 38 at the time. And he was just taking on the fast bowlers. It's fantastic. I think it was Pakistan, maybe, he got the, got the 90 against. And he pretty much got runs in every game for South Africa, you know. And um, he was so consistent. And he, he was maybe stand up and think, wow, these guys actually are top-class international cricketers. And where have they been? I mean, we know why they weren't playing. But, you know, it's sort of like, where have they been? What a shame we've not been able to see them play. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? He he almost. It, it, I remember watching it at the time. It almost felt like he was sort of carrying the torch for a generation that hadn't had a chance. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously, he was he was he looked pretty old. He looked older than thirty eight years. Had a bit of a bulk about him, like a lot of the lot of the players at the tournament. Uh, but you know, if you think of someone like Jimmy Cook, who obviously got his got his chance, but got out the first ball of first ball of his Test debut, age age forty or whatever he was. And that's you know I can't even think of the guys who didn't even get a get a look in. But there was a whole whole generation from 1973 to 1990 who who mm. could have been contenders. And he was he was one of the greats. He was one of the greats. You know he played he played against the rebel tourists in the mid 80s, and he he would have been a proper international contender. And here he was at the fag end of his of his mm. athletic life lifespan, turning in a performance. It was, it was it was as you say yeah it was it was particularly memorable for for that fact and what his age and 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 profile represented 
Yeah, he was quite a diminutive figure. And what I remember is that he just took on the fast bowlers. You could tell he'd obviously grown up playing domestic cricket in South Africa, but he wasn't cowed by any of the short stuff. He really took them on. He was brilliant cutter, brilliant, you know, brilliant puller. So, yeah, great. He bloody he was at the for... Oval in 94, yeah. but that's a different story. <laughs> no, yeah, he was... Remember, no, was it him who played... Was he 40? Flat he was 40. No, I know. No, it, it's got nothing to do with this, but just when you said he wasn't cowed, I just remember that flat hook in down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember his, his feet were splayed, almost almost like Joe Root playing a ramp before he... It's before insane he, he was on that tour. It's insane. Went to the shop. Yeah. Going to get did, number did three, for... presumably. Yeah. Jonathan. Yes, yes, please. At three, yeah. That's a cracking... I mean, that middle order is already... The best in this, in this, because <laughs> the only middle order, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't Peter Kirsten play for Derbyshire? Or am yeah. I getting confused? Yeah, he did. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. the the great player that I would have wanted to see one day cricket, who I don't think had the chance to play, was Ken McEwen, who was at Essex. I saw mm. him get a hundred before lunch at Southport, um, and he hit the ball as hard as anybody did at that time, and probably as hard as anybody has since. He was really a man before his time, playing baseball and red ball cricket uh, pretty much all day, every day. Okay, Gary, continue with you then. Um, well, I, I, I'm really tempted to go for someone, but I think I might get him sort of on the way back. So I'm going to leave this particular pick out, and if anybody does pick him before I'm back on the mic, then I'll be very upset indeed. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm going to pick uh, a, a wicketkeeper who can do a job. Um, and he's a man who's almost my exact contemporary. So he was uh, he would be in his late 20s, just about to turn 30. Uh, and that's Alex Stewart. Um, you know, he... he, he Probably was a, a better test player than a one-day player. But in this tournament, he made over 250 runs at a decent average, decent strike rate. And he was just coming into his own as a keeper. I think he did his best work as a keeper in his mid to late 30s rather than in his uh, late 20s, early 30s. But he's certainly good enough uh, to keep. So um, Alex Stewart is my man. Um, where am I going to put him? Let's have a look. Uh, I, I think I think I'm going to open with him. I don't think he did open in this series. Okay, he did in one game. He did in one game yeah. when Gooch, Gooch was injured, and he yeah. only a couple of games when Gooch got injured. I mean, and I, actually I, did his best work as an opener, just playing yes. kind of classical yeah. shots in the power play. And, of course, famously, he'll do whatever you ask him to do. Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask him. Uh, to to open, but that that was almost the more ridiculous thing about both them opening for England and being not very good at it when they had Alex Stewart batting at six. <laughs> I just I always had my head in my hands like if you want well, to play, up... pierce the field in the first fifteen overs off the quicks. Alex yes, Stewart exactly. is your man, and yeah. they should have just swapped the two of them round. They'd have been in perfect position. Stewart's... Well, they ended up with both, didn't they? But they were trying yeah. to too much of a good thing. Gaffer at three in the final, three, yeah. which I suppose in theory is fine. But yeah, it's fine. Alex Stewart in any level of anyway, start six, start six, seven. Yeah, exactly. Should have been a one, two, three, and never any lower. The perfect yeah. guy against yeah. You know, to, those yeah. those twin Puffles tons. Drive. I think in the in the test at Bridgetown was it where yeah, I think yeah. he was opening with those uh, yeah. just fantastic against the pace. Yeah. Um, right at the very top, Gary, or number two? Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we, well, he's the gaffer, so he takes and first ball. I'll have him at one. <laughs> yeah, probably will. Okay, Alex Stewart, uh, Javid Miandad, and Imran Khan for Gary. Um, 
There is no finer sound in a draft than hearing Rob swear and curse <laughs> uh, various picks. Um, who's joining your two spinners, Rob? You have two picks, of course. Yeah, so I'm going to get the next best seamer while I can. Wazim was obviously out on his own, but I, I think probably the next best was Aki Jarvid. So he was part of the kind of three-man Pakistan attack, really, because it was augmented by a 39-year-old Ibn and a lot of part-timers uh, or kind of inadequates. So he, um, yeah, back number 11, he was a really important player in this tournament, particularly with the new ball, because Wazim occasionally had trouble controlling the new ball. Aki consistently got good players out with the new ball, and there are some big examples. The Australia game, which they had to win, really. It was basically a loser goes home, almost. And he got David Boone, who was Australia's informed player by mile. And just on a side on that, he got him caught a third slip, which is another tip for Imran's captaincy. Um, got Alex Stewart in the final. He got Great Batch, who is my other pick, coming up in a second, in the semi-final, which is really important because Great Batch have been hitting thuggish 60s in almost every game. Um, and also, this is a bit weird because I never thought he was a good feeler. He took a fantastic dive and catch in the final to get rid of Graham Gooch off Mushtaq. And I know Wazim's two balls gone down in folklore quite rightly to Lamb and Lewis but that's an almost equally big moment when you think of how Gooch wasn't playing well but he's still growing Gooch and he still you know was hell better winning because he'd lost two finals before so yeah Akib Javed taking the new ball Mark Greatbatch first now he's an interesting story as well because a lot of these innovations New Zealand either developed by chance or instinct or certainly at the last minute so Greatbatch is the first kind of real pinch hitter I think effective pinch hitter in the World Cup and he didn't start the tournament. I started with John Wright and um, who else was it? Rod Latham, that's it. Anyway, came in for the third game, Wright was injured. And Crow, Mike Crow just said to him, basically, be positive, give us some momentum. And he wallops his 68 of 60 against a good South Africa attack, charging fast bowlers, slogging sixes. We kind of never seen it before. They were attacking players who take advantage of field restrictions, but this was totally different. This was proper pinch hitting. And he did it throughout the tournament. Uh, hit, I think he hit 13 sixes. No one else hit half as many which looks so small now, you know, 13 sixes, you get them in an innings potentially. But at the time it was groundbreaking and he came off in almost every game. Um, so yeah, he will do. Best He's attack over, really. He's such str- an I think outlier. he was about 85, which was, yeah, and that was it really. He kind of didn't really happen again. And he was 28 at this stage and he was known more than anything for being a fairly classical batsman whose most famous innings were very long. And I mean like day and a half and beating centuries to save test matches. Then suddenly he just starts coming out and charging Curtly Ambrose, Alan Donald. He's such an outlier in terms of the sixes. I think he got 16 sixes. Uh, 13 um, sixes, and the next best was six, well, I think, from Crow. Yeah. Yeah. And these, were, these were the days when the, the bat technology was very different to as they are now. And of course, boundaries were right to the edge of the uh, playing area. So um, it, it was like. It, watching him at the time it was like watching a kind of circus act and you know how is he keeping launching these balls into the heavens but he did it more often than not and you know he 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 was the first that we heard first time we heard the word pinch hitter and of course it was to be um become a a a, a role which now seems to have disappeared a little bit because everybody's a pinch hitter but um, he was certainly a, a, an extraordinary sight in that World Cup. Big Bun, I think they called him in uh, New Zealand or Down Under, because he was a great batch. Oh, um, and also, as an option, 
he kept wicket in the game against England when Ian Smith had a migraine. So there's that option. Now, I'm not saying I will, but it's just, you know, <laughs> just putting it there in case I, uh, yeah. And yeah, and he fun. also starred as WG Grace. But they reversed, <laughs> they reversed the um, the film because he's a left-hander. So the um, I don't know what I don't know what when that when that happened, but he was definitely WG Grace. Some some uh, <laughs> some program or another. Mark Greatbatch, Deepak Patel, Mishtak Ahmed, and Akib Javid. Rob, okay, Gary, you're going to go for the one that you've you think you're keeping up your sleeve. Well, or are you going to yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go for the one who was up my sleeve. One of them was going to be Greatbatch. But I appreciate. Yeah, go on. Is it Neil Fairbrother? No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, now you have every reason to believe it would be Neil Fairbrother if my father were alive and on my left shoulder now. I'd be saying, "Pick Fairbrother, pick Fairbrother." He was his favourite player. Um, but no, um, one of the things that wasn't talked about much in the 1999 draft, and that hasn't been talked about much in this draft so far, is the importance of fielding. It was, it wasn't oh, yeah. a kind of afterthought to some extent uh, in these days, but it, it is important. And a, a man who really raised the bar for fielding was John T. Rhodes um, of South Africa, who was often deemed to be a specialist fielder until quite late in his career when his batting became more reliable. Um, he scored runs in this tournament and he scored them <laughs> Not quite, many. quite quickly. Yeah, he, yeah, he scored them quickly, to be fair. But, yeah, he did. but you know, he, he saved runs, which we can't quantify, but he also, mm. I think, and this is important, he, he raised the fielding effort. Um, and to have a man like that setting standards uh, in a tournament, I think, is, is really important. There are going to be times when you're up against it and you have to find ways of, of getting out of that rut. And one of the ways to do it is is through the quality of fielding. It's often an indicator of morale. It can get you the 1% that Steve Waugh talks about. And there's nobody better I've seen, perhaps even in my entire 50-odd years of watching cricket, uh, at making things happen in the field than John T. Rhodes. So um, backward point, John T. Rhodes. And I guess you need a place for him in the order as well. So uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's... Put him in provisionally at five, although I might shift him to seven. We must mention the run out. Someone oh, yeah, the horizontal run out, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Smashing the stumps whilst in the Superman pose. Of I remember watching we... that live. It was just, you know, you just thought, <laughs> what yeah. is this? It's like it's a knockout or something. Yeah. Poor Inzi, one of his four. Yeah. It was it. I mean, it is, it is fascinating, though. It's just, um, again, looking back on the footage and watching, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to appreciate the difference in, in eras unless you watch an entire game back-to-back because, -back, you know, just watching the highlights doesn't doesn't show it. But the amount of ponderous fielding that, that, that was just taken taken for granted in those days, it was it was all amateurish. You know, you got size 13s down the boundaries sort of vaguely kicking the ball and, you know, Gucci, was, you know, passes prime, you know, dropping catch in the outfield. I mean, to be fair, balls, there weren't many drop catches per se, I don't think, over and above over and above you get these days. I mean, hand-eye coordination and skill still counted for, for most of most of it, but the athleticism that, that came to dive across to reach the, the ones that, were, that were, 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 you know, slightly out of reach, that came a lot later. And, and as you say, Rhodes really transformed that. I remember the probably 94 tour, there was... Um, some fielding demonstration um, done with Johnny Rose just just showing how to field. It's like 
Yeah. I mean, you you take this sort of stuff for granted. It's like people people completely blown away by the idea that oh yeah, that that third that third skill that you do when you bat, ball, and field in a in a in a, in a cricket match is actually quite important, isn't it? It's uh, it, it it seems weird to think that it took a transformative tournament from from a man like that to to remind people of it. I mean, the two best catches of a cricket ball I've ever seen both played. It was both them and Mark War. Um, mm. But the differences in ground fielding, in speed over the ground, in in turning twos into ones, in mm. turning uh, boundaries into twos, or sometimes what? even even ones. And um, he 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 really did. He really was twenty years in the future. I think. Yeah. Uh, Johnson Rhodes is the best fielder. In the history of cricket, I mean, you might people will argue about Andrew Summer, but for what he did, what he did for fielding, for what how far ahead of everyone else he was, yeah. and that run out, I think, is one of the iconic moments in cricket history, all formats. Does anyone? He's the best anyone, fielder ever. I would agree with it. Does anyone have any theories on why outfielding and boundary fielding has improved tenfold, and slip catching has arguably declined slightly? Because well, you say both, both them and Mark Waugh are two of the greatest slippers ever. My theory is that the uh, grounds are, are better, the outfields are slicker, uh, they're smoother. Certainly, um, the used wickets are not the kind of... of the players um, are fitter, though, aren't they? I'm more yeah, interested in why slip catching hasn't improved. I'm more interested in why it happened. Because I suppose, but, you know, both you can joke about both and doesn't have to run to take slip catches, but you look at the reaction of some of them, where he's like low to his right ankle. Or, yeah, but, maybe, Rob, or maybe it's just that we see the highlights of the great slippers um, yeah. In the modern day, we see all the slippers, including the relatively mediocre ones. Maybe it's that. I, I, I wonder. I wonder if it's related to helmets. You know, I'm going completely off piste here, but but you know, yeah, just but... in terms of the 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 need as a great player in in the days of before helmets to watch the yeah. ball. You watch how people duck bounces yeah, in this day and age. They're turning their turning away from the ball rather than watching it. You know, straight past their nose as a as would as would have happened at Old Trafford seventy six, for instance. I just wonder whether that that may be a factor. It's like you know the the, the sheer raw ability to watch the ball and keep an eye on the ball was something that was just completely innate because all the best slippers, broadly speaking, were batters as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I also wonder whether it was out of necessity. Yeah, that's a really interesting theory. That's yeah, it is. But, but also, especially in Test cricket, wasn't it a case that often in those days, a, a player like a both or a Mark Wall would only field at slip. They would get yeah. put in at slip first over the innings and just stay there. And, they <laughs> yeah. and nowadays, the, the funky fields, not the same nowadays in the modern era, you don't always have three. I mean, I remember yeah. England always bowled for three slips. So there were certain players who just only were there as slip fielders. They were never required to go to the boundary. They were never required. Obviously, one day cricket, I guess they were. But I just think generally speaking, if you think of those great slippers, you never saw them anywhere else in the field. And that was all they ever did. So they were standing there all the time. Whereas nowadays, you do have to be that all-round fielder. I, I can imagine Mark Warney and both of them never in their career bothering to practice or train to be an outfielder. They just did slip catching. And, you know, they were stuck out on the boundary because they had to. They just did it. But nowadays, all the fielding practice and all the drills were are all-round drills. You just they're not, they're not specialists anymore. Those guys were genuine slip specialists. Mark, Mark Taylor... I cannot recall Mark Taylor ever being anywhere else other than at slip for Australia yeah, in any point. format. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, it's just yeah, because Warren, even at slip, Warren always had a slip, didn't he? Exactly. Even so. yeah. Back to the game then. Uh, John T. Rhodes is in at five for Gary. I once slapped John T. Rhodes on the back and said, "Unlucky John T. on the field at Trent Bridge after the ninety-eight." <laughs> I was going to say, I was an eight in ninety-nine. Yeah, he run on the pitch like <laughs> hooligans. Um, Jonathan, are we going to address the lower order? 
here. You have two, three, and four very strong. But Well, I'm actually going to make a dispute. Rob said earlier he's picking the only two decent spinners of the tournament. That is not yeah. a correct statement. Oh, come on. I'm going to pick the <laughs> third <laughs> decent spinner of this tournament, which is Yorkshire and England and Worcestershire's Richard Illingworth. He was all uh, right. He was look, <laughs> he's no way he's excellent at this World Cup. He's also the, probably the best number 11 England have ever had. Uh, but I looked at his numbers. I mean, he played six games. He took, I think, eight wickets, but he's got an excellent economy rate. And I always remember him doing a fantastic job at this World Cup. He, put, he used to come on the middle overs as a spinner and always put the brakes on. He was great. The, really the semi-final, the best, the semi-final of South Africa. Caper. Yeah. When he came on, he turned the game back in England's favour. He never gets discussed in that semi-final. Red yeah, Hicks was... innings, obviously the famous ending, the delivery from De Freitas to Kirsten, you know, even Chris Lewis's astonishing on-drive. That game's a great game. But... Richard Illingworth's spell coming on after the seamers went miles, including Lordy and Lord Botham, um, was brilliant. So uh, Richard Illingworth's coming in for me. Put him, I think for now, I'll put him at 10, um, if that's okay. But um, You can yeah. have that. That's no problem. No, he was a very clever bowler. There's an arm ball, I think, to Adrian Capel in that semi-final. Yeah. Capel was dangerous and he looked like he might come off for once. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's got an average of 31, economy 4.2, and he took eight wickets to six games. That's not as good. And he's a good good batsman down the order. So, um, yeah, he's probably that. After that, there are no spinners, I agree. But If you want a spinner who denies guys up the runs in the middle overs, that's fine. I'd rather have what he takes wickets, but don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Andrew, uh, you have two to go here. Right, okay. So... I'm just looking at what I've got so far. I probably need to bulk out top and bottom. I think I'm going to go for first up. I'm going to get the best fast bowling partnership of the tournament nailed down. I'm going to have Alan Donald as my sidekick towards a macram. Um, he just, again, just with that, with the return of South Africa, yeah. uh, you got you talk about Peter Kirsten representing what had gone before and perhaps had missed out here was Alan Donald proving that what was coming was going to be pretty bloody awesome. I mean, he was incredible. Yeah, what an yeah. athlete. I mean, that, you know, funny enough, um, I think, um, I think it was, uh, Mike Atherton, Mike Atherton talking about citing bowlers and saying that he had a pretty good record against Alan Donald because his action was so pure. You could actually see the ball coming in a way that it perhaps wasn't the case for slightly jerkier actions, but, Nonetheless, I mean, you watch white lightning hurtling down at you uh, and, you know, that transformative cutting edge that he provided for, you know, it was a bit of a bit of a ragtag team that they pulled together, South Africa. You know, you got obviously John T. Rhodes was class apart in, in his field, but you think of Kepler Vessels, the sort of ancient old reject from from Australia and all the rest. <laughs> um, you know, then you got Alan Donald, just, just the absolute yeah. apogee of quality within that squad and, and a real proof that, you know, when once they're back for good, which obviously after the 94 elections they would be, um, they would be a serious contender, as indeed they proved to be. So I think he got 13 wickets in the tournament. Um, uh, and I think he played, a, I think it did, he helped, he played a particularly big part in beating Australia as well, didn't he? Which is uh, yeah. always, always a feather in a cap. Uh, so let's um, let's ink him in as as my first first my two Dermot. picks. I was just, I was just going to say, you know, I remember Reeves' stories action coming pretty well in the semi-finals. To be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember so, in a pre-tournament seeing Alan Donald bowl. It was like one of those things of when you used to go to football World Cup, say I'm going to see Kareka play or something. I remember it, so much chat about him and never no one had seen him bowl on TV. 
And I remember, I remember like members of my family all sat on the sofa their first game just to see this guy running the ball. What's his action like? What is he like? It was such a big build up. Everyone had been talking about him for years. And it's amazing to think he was already 25 at this World Cup. I absolutely love him as a character. Like yeah. he had so many heart. But even just the other day when Angelo Matthews was timed out against Bangladesh, my almost my first thought was I bet Alan Donald, who's their bowling coach, is fuming about this. <laughs> and of course he was a Bangladesh bowling coach. And of course he was, it came out because he's just I just such a decent bloke. Um, yeah. even just things like there was an issue with racial abuse of an England player, and he's the one who called out the guy who did it in a in yeah. test in ninety-eight. Um yeah, I absolutely love him as a what an unbelievable leader though player. for South Africa. Yeah, yeah. in that era. No, it's so cruel at Hampton in 99, but that's another story. <laughs> um, in at 11, I presume, Andrew, who's who's next? Uh, yes, I'll put him 11 for the moment. He may sh shimmy up at some stage, uh, but I will fill in my opening partnership. I'm gonna go for Brian Lara. Um, he had a he had a quietly immense tournament. Obviously, West Indies didn't get to this, get to the knockouts, and largely because he didn't have any support. I mean, his his runs were over and above anything else that, that his team could produce. Um, what did he make? It was... Uh, 433 at, at 47, strike rate at 82. That's I mean, you think, think a great batch is 88 strike rate, and he was thumping sixes everywhere. Lara was just quietly showing what he was going to become. It was um, around this around this time, I think he'd just come off the tour of... Um, actually, no. Following winter, he he had his tour of Australia, Australia where he um, where he got his two seven seven in Sydney, which at the time was probably the most astonishing innings anyone had ever witnessed, and probably would have been a world record if he hadn't run himself out. And then within two years, he was breaking world record anyway. I mean, you know, this was this was a this was a sighter of an immense talent. And go back to what Jonathan was saying right at the top there: the 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 the, the blend of absolute proven greats such as you know Imran and yeah. and both of them on the one hand and then the coming brigade there was no one quite like Lara in terms of what what uh, was was possible in the batting front uh, and he opened as well which um again just just set them up gave them a gave them a platform that unfortunately the rest of their team uh just could not uh, could not dive off okay flower Lara Enzi Wazim and Alan Donald there's a reason You've got a good record in these drafts so far, Andrew Miller. Um, okay, James, let's pick the pace up a little with time um, an enemy, perhaps. Uh, Jonathan, who is next for you? Okay, sure. I, I need to pick some some scene bowling. So I <laughs> quite Zimbabwe fans are going to grow to love me at these on these drafts. Yeah. Uh, I'll follow up Henry Longa with good old Edo Brandes. Why not? Come on, there's a vibe <laughs> pick for you. Edo Bradders, I have no idea what his batting's like, so shove him in at 11. But <laughs> basically, all we need to say is uh, chicken farmer. That's the story. We can move on, Martin, if you need to speak, you know. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah, well, yeah. England, which was a huge shock. His, his economy was a bit bit dodge, I've looked. But no, again, that is a, he's, he's an iconic player at this World Cup. He's got to be. 14 a, wickets and mm. a crap team. He was fantastic. Yeah, yeah I know. Absolutely not. Uh, okay, okay, fair enough. And. Um, Gary, then, please. Are we going to look at balls at any time? Or? I will, but not just yet, because um, opening is is important. So I'm going to pick the uh, the man who opened for the uh, champions. Uh, I I see him sometimes around media centres. I'm sure Andrew does too. And I can never get quite past looking at his hair, to be honest. But uh, it's Rami Israja, uh, who's got <laughs> a lot of runs at a decent pace. And... Uh, I want him in a very Pakistan-heavy uh, batting top six there. 
Yeah, nearly 350, isn't he? Just at 58. Yeah, he's played a weird an immaculate looking man. <laughs> played at the highest score of the tournament against New Zealand in that must win game yeah. as well. No, a solid choice. Um, okay, Rob, you're two. So I'll have David Boone as opener. Uh, nice opening partnership, right hand, left hand. Two very uh, bristling moustaches. He so there were only eight hundred in the whole tournament, which is crazy. Boone and Ramy's got two of them each. Australia were rubbish, but that wasn't Boone's fault. He was also run out three times, which may have been his fault, but it kind of reinforces how well he was playing because I think he was a top scoring opener. And that includes three runouts. And he can keep wicket, which he did in two games if I need to. Um, and I will go for Neil Fairbrother at number five, who, apart from Jarvis, was the best finisher in the tournament. Um, ahead of his time, really, kind of a, I was going to say a pound land Michael Bevan, which isn't fair, but, you know, an ersatz Bevan, just brilliant at stealing singles, hitting boundaries when needs be, and also a fantastic fielder, which is really important yeah. because, as Barry said, mm. there were not many of them in this tournament. He almost top scored for England in the final, um, hardly failed at all in the tournament, made a brilliant 70 odd when they had an almost miraculous win against South Africa with about eight fit men, despite being stitched up by the rain rule. So, yeah, I think Java was just about the best finisher, but Fairbrother wasn't far behind. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the singles. It, it, you know, again, coming off the back of what we're saying about the, the, the test focus in this day and age, there's so many broad backs that were just. Pull yeah. the ball straight back down the line. Fairbrother was unique and just just turn, opening the face on yes. impact. Just, just nudge yeah. it, just nudge it, nerdle it, take a single every ball you get. I mean, it it's absolutely standard play this day and age. Uh, but was a, it was, as you say, it was ahead of its time back then. There was a line Christian Ryan used about Bevan, which I was thinking of Fairbrother as well. Something like he had a tweezer for a bat and a calculator for a brain, something like that. And that's what Fairbrother mm. had. Again, it's kind of normal now, but it just was not then at all. Just quickly, Rob, forgive my ignorance. Uh, a career. Mm unfulfilled not at one day level no he was yeah. he was a kind of mainstay one but the, the, they they wanted to get him in the test team and they never quite he got off to a bad start mm. i mean he was a better one day player for a start he had the same problem flirting outside off but he could never quite he got off to a really bad side of the test career and never fully recovered but there were moments so for example 91 he scored a wonderful one day hundred against the windies you know with all their big guns at lords i think but they didn't get in the test team. They picked a young Mark Rampakash instead. And he kind of, you know, he got an 80-odd in India 18 months later, but he never quite. I think it's one of those where culture at a time plus a bad start means he never felt comfortable at test level, whereas one day he was terrific and probably was held on too long because they could have just moved him on when Thorpe came. But for the most of the 90s, he was very good, I think. Okay. Certainly in this tournament. Great match, Boone, Fairbrother, Deepak, Mushtaq, and Akiva Javed. Uh, Gary, uh, is anyone going to pick the ball up here? <laughs> well, um, Gavin Hamilton Deluxe, I'm going for, uh, who is South Africa's Brian McMillan. Um, I love a number eight, and he was a deluxe number eight because he was a decent bowler, big, strong man who could hit the splice. Uh, and then he could come in and he could play any kind of innings you needed. He could hold up an end or he could attack. And I, I loved Brian McMillan as a, as a cricketer. And his, his record's pretty good in this World Cup, um, but I, I, he's the kind of player I really, really like, so I'm having Brian McMillan mm. in there. There are, there are so many Brian McMillan stories, but one of my favourites is, I think it's in Alan Donald's book, and it's a kind of deadpan. <laughs> I'm before already the last, laughing. <laughs> before the last test in 1998, when they had to, they were one all with England in a very spiteful series, they never won in England, 
and they had a team meeting the night beforehand, and he said everyone was so focused that Big Mac didn't even have a beer. Which I it was just fantastic. <laughs> just a routine of him bringing four cans. Anyway, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> then he got bounced out by Dominic Cork calling him. I know, Mac. which is so funny. Yeah, he just basically, yeah. I mean, that you could do a whole pod on that exchange alone, it's like Allerton v Donald, without any of the glamour or dignity, but actually more important to the series. Hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Jonathan, who is your sixth choice? Sorry, I was saying I, I really need to continue to beef up my scene bowling, but I'm torn between Maros Prabarka and Phil De Freitas. Um, very similar records. I'm gonna—I'll go Phil De Freitas because England were the outstanding team at the World Cup, so um, and he can bat as well. So yeah. Prabarka could bat as well, given. I'll have De Freitas, and you can put him for now at eight. Thank you. One of the balls of the tournament's Kirsten, like you said. Yeah, the what a delivery! Final. Absolutely brilliant. He was—he was a very—he he again was another sort of player who's kind of epitomising one-day cricket, what it was going to become. I mean, what a player. Mm. And if, if Phil DeFerris had had a chance to play 2020 cricket, but like Chris Lewis, maybe someone will select him shortly, they would they would have been electric in that format. But, um, yeah, DeFerris. Tom Kirsten, Crow, DeFerris, Ellingworth and Edo Brandes. Andrew, who are your next two choices? Right, well, I'm I'm very tempted by by Lewis, but I'm, I'm going to go slightly left field just because he, he was... It was his moment, and he should be he should be Sir Derek Pringle by now. Ah, yeah. Um, if the, if that finger had gone up, if 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 Steve Buckner had raised the finger for that absolutely pad thwacking LBW against both Javid, of them, both of them, yeah, take take your pick. But I mean, God, uh, he was such a clever bowler. Uh, you know, you look at you look at him. He had all the attributes to be a massive thuggish fast bowler. He was huge. The height, natural height, was 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 his greatest asset. But fundamentally, he just he just had magic in his wrists. He just he just he just, he just knew how to manipulate a cricket ball, not at any great pace at all. I mean, powder puff mm -hmm. deliveries, frankly. But they just did stuff through the air that that in that tournament had the ball on a string um, pretty much all the way through. Obviously, the the famous uh, seventy four all out uh, that Pakistan wriggled out through the rain rules. Um, well, actually, just through a plain washout, they probably won under the rain rules. But that's another story entirely. Um, he would just—he just, just tore them a new one there. He so nearly did it again in the final. Um, so yeah, he would keep going at number nine. That's perfect. And then um, I seem to be making a habit of picking him, but I'm going to take Sachin Tendulkar um, because, again, in that tournament, it's the first of his six World Cups. I have him at number four. I think um, he was. He just was consistent. He was this young, up-and-coming superstar, first chance to be on on the global stage. You know, he got his century, uh, test century at Old Trafford, all the rest of it. Everyone knew that he was the coming man. But then he just turns out a, a series of utterly, utterly solid performances at a very decent lick, 283 runs at 47, strike rate of 85. I mean, again, mm -hmm. in, a, in a tournament where, where, you, where nobody was getting above 60, 70, Sachin Tendulkar was just proving again and this tournament really was defined by purity of batting as much as anything else and nobody was more pure when it came to full face of the bat and, and the angles you can create with it uh, than, than, than Sachin That's a theme taking shape for sure, Jonathan Sure, so I need an opening bat, so I'm going to go Andrew Jones from New Zealand had a cracking tournament, um, but he can slot in and open up with both of them. 
Some Pajoic, good stuff. And Gary, what's next? Well, it's another player I've always liked. His numbers don't look too good, although they're certainly not bad in this tournament. But it's partly because he wasn't always needed. But dear me, if there's a man that you need in a in a one day or in a in a crisis, a man who knows how to navigate through to a win, and a man who could perfect his famous impersonation while he's doing so, it's Dermot Reeve. Um, so I want Dermot Reeve in at nine. How he'll get on with him, Rankan, I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> I am. He has he has nouse to spare, does Dermot Reeve? Certainly when it comes to cricket. So uh, I want him in then. Yeah, I, I always wonder about Dermot Reeve. I, honestly, I think if, if T20 cricket if it had existed in the 90s, Dermot Reeve could have been the first like millionaire cricketer. Yeah, likewise. So he would have captained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I thought he should have captained the 50 over team. Yeah, around yeah, yeah. Nine. I, I just think what a what a player born for that type of format. Just ten, he was almost fifteen years too early, but he would have captained England's T Twenty team in the nineties and been a superstar in all the franchises. And he would have ended up like captaining and then managing one of the IPL franchises just because he's yeah. Dermot Reeve. It's exactly the sort of thing he would have done. Well, although he would also have self sabotaged his way out of it, but you know that's mm. it, isn't it? But you can get away with more now. You'd have yes, you let him off in the team there, you know. Stuart Raja, Meandad Rhodes, Can McMillan, and Reeve. Uh, okay, Rob, two for you. Yeah, so there were very few death hitters in this tournament, so I'm going to try and take one. I'm going to have Kapil Dev. He can bat provisionally at number seven. Um, so of those who got 100 runs, his strike rate was 125. No one else got more than 100. Didn't get a million runs, but that wasn't a point. Kind of didn't need to. Just need a bit of butchery at the death and also not quite the bowl he had been but still very good both with the new ball and he probably won't use it in this team and particularly at the death where I need a bowler so um, yeah he'll do he might bat number eight but I'll see do there for now and I've got another one haven't I um, you do I am going to take uh, I can't believe in this tournament which was famous for the New Zealand dibbly dobbly and wobbly no one's taken any of them so I'm going to take Chris Harris uh, who I think only Wazin took more wickets, possibly. Um, 16 wickets, again, good at the death. A fantastic fielder who ran out, for example, in this semi-final, which almost won it. Um, he actually batted six or seven. He could bat eight in this team because he didn't get any runs. Um, but yeah, 16 wickets. Again, just those all those um, kind of slower balls and variations and just... Drove good bats from Mad. The whole New Zealand team did, and it helped their slow pitches. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, people just couldn't get away. So yeah, sixteen cheap wickets. Never mind picking Dibby Dobbly and Wobbly, Rob. Your entire team is Dibby Dobbly and Wobbly. Yeah, it's nineteen ninety two, Miller. I'm not, I'm not going for the glamour boys. I'm going for the ones who actually did well. So are you moving Harris into eight and then moving your two spinners down? Yeah, if you, uh, Harris. Yeah, Chris Harris eight, Dipak Patel nine, Mushy ten. And God, Lovely. God help them. In fact, now and David Boone can be my wicket keeper, which I know is a reach, but he did keep in two of the games here, and he did perfectly well. So yeah, because I really can't pick out anywhere. Highly fair, Gary. Back to you. Yeah, well, I'm going to go for a spinner who bowled his full allocation in all eight matches that he played, and he, he kept it tight. But he can also bat at number three. And it'll just be a delight watching him bat, albeit one that you always feel like you're sitting on the edge of the cliff. And that's, of course, Super Hoops, Carl Hooper. I was hoping you would overlook him. I had, I had him earmarked as my spinner. Yes. Okay, not, not far away then. Tough as uh, available. Gary. 
quite. Jonathan, big hole in the middle, really, and, and a bowler. Well, if you need a you need a big hole filling, the man to fill it is Arjuna Ranatunga. <laughs> Uh, not to say so. I'm just looking. Yeah, the middle order is an interesting one because you've got a few options there. We've got Kepler Vessels. No one's, I don't think anyone's picked him up. He was obviously more of a top three. As a proper middle order batsman, though, Arjuna is going to go in there because also I think I need a captain. Well, I've got Crow actually. So, but Arjuna is going to go in at five. Um, fantastic wind up merchant. And he had a, had a quietly good tournament. I mean, Sri Lanka were not, they weren't as poor as Zimbabwe, but they weren't as good as the rest. But he's, you know, 262 runs at 52 and a strike rate of 81. I mean, that is that is very decent. Um, so yeah, he's going in at five. Okay. Um, Andrew, then, where are your two picks going? Right. Well, um, very good question. I've I've been I've been snookered by 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 hoops being picked up, um, which I'm sure will please you. Oh. I, it, it disgusts me even to consider him, but I'm tempted to pick Kepler Vessels just to fill my top order. Let me see if I can kind of get a better. He's had a good tournament, and he's a top. He player. does, but he's but he just, it just disgusts me as a as, as, as an option. Um, but I mean, you know, it was it was a tournament for 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 dour duration, wasn't it? So um, let me see if I've got just trying to scout out. Actually, what the hell? I'm going to have Mohammed Azra Din. That's more. In, that's more fun. That's more more in keeping with the with the team I'm trying to build. Azra and Din. This yeah, is I a have... flair side. This is a Lara Azra Sachin Inzi. That is a flair lineup. Yeah, I'm going to have some yeah. of that. He, he he's probably placed too high at three, but I'll, I'm happy with him. Happy with him there for now. You can imagine um, Andy Flower in the dressing room with those five flowers. Like, come yeah. on. <Yeah>. And um, uh, yeah, and just because the theme of the tournament was not just flair but depth of batting, certainly when it came to England, I'm going to get I'm going to pick up Chris Lewis. I'm going to I'm going to forget about worrying about spin because um because there's no one else left worth picking. I will come back to that when I have to. Uh, but Chris Lewis, he can he can probably slot in at nine uh, with Pringle at ten. Um, it's really reprising the the depth that England. Took to the final and probably you know another on another day against another opponent would have won their first World Cup because they had they had the best mm. team of the tournament almost by fluke you know they they were rubbish the previous winter and the Ashes they were rubbish when they went to India the following winter but for one winter only and going back to what we were talking about earlier it was probably due down to Ian Botham and his alchemy um, they got it together and um, it's one of those great near misses they didn't win it it's worth a quick yeah. word on it an amazing Lewis cameo against Brian Lara. Got him out second ball for naught. First ball hit him straight in the knackers, knocked him over. Second ball nicked him off. That's Brian Lara. Chris, Chris Lewis was really sharp around then. He'd had a very good test for him in New Zealand. Didn't actually do that. Well, he did okay with the ball in this. Two games, West Indies, and he blew away Sri Lanka when they were looking dangerous. Hmm. Um, but he was sharp around then. I'll and tell you what, his, his new ball spell in the final was lightning. His yeah. new ball spell in the final was as quick as I've, I've seen from any England bowler up, up until, well, Devin, Mal Devin Malcolm excluded, but in white ball cricket, probably Jofra. I don't think I'd mm. seen a quicker spell looking back on on the footage of that. Um, he he had everyone, even even him, even Javed was hopping around. Uh, he was he was lightning. Not for 50 odd in the head. But no, that's interesting. I, I genuinely, I genuinely didn't know that. that. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's interesting. I would associate those first few overs with Pringle, obviously, in the final. 
Okay, only two spaces for you left, Andrew. Flower, Lara, Azradin, Sashin, Enzi, Wazim, Chris Lewis, Derek Pringle, and Alan Donald. And Jonathan, you've got three to fill, but only one option at the moment. Sure. So I'm going to pick up Manoj Prabhaka. We were talking about him last time. I thought someone would pick him up because he'll slot in beautifully for me at number nine. Very skillful white ball bowler. He, he could bat. I mean, he batted in the top six in Test cricket for India. I saw his his, his batting record at this World Cup was dreadful, but um, very decent with the ball. And I remember him very real off cutters. Really, one of the first bowlers I saw seen bowlers bowling really cool off cutters with the white ball. You say his record was dreadful. It wasn't. It was non-existent. And that's actually a recurring theme here, that a lot of the lower order hardly got in at all, even yeah. ones who could bat, like Prabhaka. Mm. I couldn't believe when I looked at the numbers for Prabhaka. He's a bloody good batsman. Yeah, he's to open you know, test Good enough to bat in a top seven in a first-class cricket. Mm. I, he was an overseas pro at my county growing up, Durham, for a bit, and he was a proper player. We used to open with him or put him at three. I, I suspect he's one of those cricketers who's played all 11 positions yeah. in the order. Hmm. Um Certainly opened in Test cricket. For a yeah, while. he did yeah. against England in that famous yeah. ninety-two-three winter when we got when when you know we got rolled. But yeah, Andrew Jones, Beefy, Kirsten, Crow, Ranatunga, De Freitas, Prabhakar, Ellingworth, and Brandis. Couple in the middle, six and seven left for you, Jonathan. We'll swing by you soon enough, Gary. You have number seven and your tail to complete. You get one shot at this minute. Well, I'm probably too late to be talking about adding pace to this 11, but I've got to add some. And so I'm going to go for um, Winston Benjamin, uh, West Indies quick. Uh, and it's it's kind of, you look back at this period, and it's hard to judge the West Indies quicks because so many of them were so good, but got so little opportunity because they had such a phalanx of them. It, the conveyor belt was beginning to dry up that had started in the 70s, but... Um, yeah, Winston Benjamin was genuinely quick. He had a decent record in this tournament. I'll have him at 10, though, because uh, when the mood took him, as is common with many of the West Indian quicks uh, in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, he could swing a bat pretty effectively. So uh, I'm going for Winston Benjamin. Okay, Alex Stewart, Ramid Raja, Carl Hooper, Yavid, Miandad, John T. Rose, Khan, McMillan, Reeve and Benjamin. Rob, you can nearly finish this now. Three and four and six to go. You get two cracks. I wish I could. Yeah, so I'm going to take Dean Jones, number four. Um, went into the tournament as the best one-day player by a mile in the rankings. Didn't have an incredible tournament with Australia struggle, but he still did pretty well. Got, got a brilliant 90 in a what was all their third game and they already couldn't afford to lose to India. They won by one run. Um, he also batted well in a couple of other games. His dismissal actually off Mushtaq is one of the key moments of the tournament, I think, when Pakistan beat mm. Australia, it kind of sparks collapse. The other thing is that he was miles ahead of his time and he's running between the wickets. So him and Fairbrother will steal a hell of a lot of runs between them. Um and out of sheer affection for the man, I'm gonna have Robin Smith at number three. Um he had a weird tournament, ended up being wrongly left out of the final, but he got a fantastic 91 in the first game against India, which was very important because England won by not much, set the tone. Then it all kind of went a bit weird because England were winning too easily. And I always think the judge was better under pressure. I think he needed it. He, he was, I don't know if it was something in his psyche, but he, he very rarely scored cheap runs. England kept winning and he lost kind of the momentum that he'd shown in that game. Then he got injured in the missed final, but he still ultimately only two players got more at number three. I think it was Kirsten and Azaruddin in the tournament. Mm. So he still actually had an okay tournament and 91 was brilliant. And I love him as a human being. 
I still mm. I still think back to the selection of the 92. I, a bit like I was saying, I re-picked my 99 squad. Reeve had a Smith in the final. England's 92 final 11. If they'd just moved both of them, if they'd opened with Stewart and Gooch and Smith at three, if you st- your top three was Gooch, Stewart, Smith, and then Hit comes in, then Fairbrother, then both of them, you've got the perfect top six and one they could get at the time. One really quick aside on Smith is that you would think he would be absolutely perfect for Australian pitches, hard yeah. and fast. But he didn't have much success. There. He had a confidence crisis in 1991. Didn't mm. go in 94 5 because of Warren. Kind of lost his way in this tournament, even though he was still okay. Averaged like 35, I think. Mm. But anyway, such is life. Okay, Rob. Thank you for that. Top three. Yeah, there's a lot of moustaches, yeah. Uh, as there should be in 1992. Gary, mm. how are well, we nearly completing this? Uh, I'm going for a, a cricketer who I first came across while watching Ian Botham make uh, his 118 at Old Trafford in 1981. He was drafted into that Australian eleven from league cricket. And he, I think in this country, it took a while to kind of shake that. But um, he's left arm. He was fairly quick. He's got a decent record in this competition. So I'm going for Mike Whitney. <laughs> Did Mike, Mike Whitney also made an appearance in Neighbours? That's my... Only piece of knowledge. Indeed. About yeah, he bowled in the really? nets. Yeah, and Carl a, Kennedy a... was putting a foot. Carl Kennedy was putting a cricket team together and um, invited, and uh, Mike Whitney came on to bowl in the nets. I remember that very well. There's an excellent quiz question to be made regarding what uh, Mike Whitney and Shane Warne have in common. Then I suppose. Right. Do you know the one about what's the most viewed cricket clip on Australian TV? Oh, it's that kids' animation, isn't it? hitting a six off Carl Kennedy at the intro to Neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> it was twice. A, it was uh, twice a day, every day for twenty years. Jonathan, six or seven. Yeah. So I need a keeper desperately. So David Richardson mm-hmm. is coming in. Um, there really is nothing to be discussed on the keepers. The records are all appalling of the keepers <laughs> remaining. But his is the least worst and. He was pretty good in the chase. He turned out to be a very decent keeper. And in that semi-final, he might have taken them home. We don't know, obviously. Um, I'm going to put him at seven for now. That's right, Martin. Uh, Thank you. Um, But yeah, he's going to keep wicket for me. No problem at all. Uh, Okay, okay. Andrew, you can finish your team. Right. Well, I need a spinner. I've spent spent the last, last run going up and down the stats and I've hit hit upon absolute gold. I mean it's it's counterfactual gold because he played twice in the tournament and um actually got tonked out of the attack against England but so we'll overlook that. But Roger Harper um is one of the one of the great underused players mm. in West Indies history and a great fielder as well. In fact the only thing he did in that in that England game was a court and bold a sharp diving return catch off Graham Hick. Um but his only other game, he bowled um, 10 overs for 30-odd. Uh, didn't take any wickets, but he was by distance the most economical bowler against Pakistan when they racked up 220 for two, whereupon West Indies, Lara to the four, romped to a 10-wicket win. So, you know, his his role in that game uh, was crucial in just um, just keeping it to an, an attainable chase. So uh, he can slot in at number, yeah, number seven's perfect. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Um, and that means a, a number five. Well, just because, as as Jonathan says, it's quite a flair-driven team, and it's a chance to bang on about the semi-final and what an absolute travesty is that the, 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 the boxer thought of as the as the wronged party in that. 
I'll stick Kepler Vessels in at five. Um, <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. It is not history. Is. History has labelled England as the wrong as 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 the as the team that, that got out of jail in that semi final. The, the fact is, Kepler Vessels knew full well that uh, the, the, the 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 rain rules would cause problems for any team chasing if bad weather was around. Because as we all know, the rain rules, in, uh, the Richie Benno's shocking formula was let's let's with, take out the the least productive overs in an in innings and you know shunt, shunt it down that way. So England, as mentioned, because they bowled out Pakistan for seventy four in that that game that proved crucial to Pakistan's qualification, they ended up chasing sixty four and sixteen overs because all of the maidens that Derek Pringle had racked up suddenly didn't count. So mm. a mm. Kepler Vessels knew full well that chasing would be complicated for his team. And secondly, he slowed the game down so much because of the TV um, rights in, in Australia. They had to complete the first innings by a certain time. So going back, bowling cynically slowly when in England are having a, a pretty flying finish to their innings, England end up bowling only 45 overs in their innings, in which in which time they probably lost about 30 runs uh, that they could possibly smacked to add to their score. And then, of course, it rains, and suddenly it's oh, poor old South Africa. They've they, they've been ruined. They 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 made a rod for their own backs, and they got thrashed by it. And um, it, it, history deserves to have that spelt out. And England almost got stuffed in the in the in the, in the group stage against against South Africa as well. They, they ended up winning, I think, off the last ball, didn't they? When the, when rain came down again, I, I couldn't agree more. If, if if they bowled the full allocation, England would have been close to two ninety. They were going so well at that point, and that was unchaseable back then. Especially the way Dermot Reeves played after Alan Yeah, Gould. I mean England. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I couldn't agree more. England, I think it was one of their. I think possibly their best batting performance in the entire World Cup. That forty-five over, it was superbly constructive. From, considering they lost Gooch, it was always a big blow at the top. They that brilliant batting performance from England. Andrew Flimmer, Lara Ajardin, Sachin Vessels, Enzi Harper, Wazim Lewis, Pringle Donald. Can I trouble you for a captain, please? My captain will be. Oh, go on, give it to Kepler. He can, he can stink the place out again. <laughs> okay, dokes. Um, Jonathan, how are we finishing up? Sure, I'm finishing. I thought I thought uh, Miller was about to pick him up. To, for doubling up, but I'm going for Hickey. So Hickey's coming in at six for me. Um, we might move the order around, but he could bowl a bit as well, and he was brilliant at this World Cup. I mean, 264 runs, averaging 33, 350s. Had a, a really excellent tournament, and this was where we really thought, after a poor 91 test summer, we all thought he's going to fly now in all formats. But um, that 83, I think he scored in the semi-final. He don't, I did believe he was dropped and off a, a bowled off a no-ball early doors, but he batted. It was a sensational innings against a top-class bowling attack under pressure. Gooch had gone early. Both of them went for 20. He really, really powered that innings. And it was. I actually watched it back again on the highlights recently, the, the, the extended highlights, the sky showing, and it was a superb knock. And, okay. and brilliant. What about your order? Do you want to make any last-minute adjustments and can have a captain? Uh, captain, I'm so tempted to give the captaincy to Ratatunga again for the wind-up factor. Um, actually, Rob will note, was he actually captaining Sri Lanka at this point? No, it was Aravinda. The Aravinda. other thing about Ranatunga, he was still bowling and he actually had some useful spells in his tournament. Yeah, I think I'll give the captaincy to Martin Crow because he had a great tournament as skipper for New Zealand. Um, if you so, hadn't given it to Crow, that would have been 
an absolute travesty to him. No, but it was purely because Ranatunga signed up. But um, Ranatunga can be vice captain. That would be a, an amusing <laughs> brain. <laughs> and you, you're fine with the order? Uh, yeah, I think the batting order is fine because that's pretty. Um, yeah, Hickey could pretty much bat three to six at that point. He was. Yeah. Okay, okay, Gary. How are we concluding? Well, you look down the stats, and I'm loath to do that because I don't like being stats driven. But um, seeing as Hick was just stolen from under my nose, uh, I'm going to go for uh, the only batter I can see who had a strike rate over a hundred, and that's Zimbabwe's uh, Andy Waller. Um, and this was no no real surprise across his ODI career. Um, he had a strike rate of 70, which was very high in those days. And he could also do a bit of bowling. So he fits into my uh, my idea of having 10 David Hussies and a wicketkeeper. So um, Andy Waller's my man. I'm going to swap him with Jonty, though. I'm going to put him... I'm going to, if I can be so bold as to put Imran in at five, Jonty at six. Uh, Andy Waller at six and John T at seven. You can indeed. And Im- Imran is that. obviously my my captain. Of course, yeah. Yes, uh, that might be the case. Uh, okay, okay. So um, Alex Stewart, um, Ramesh Raja, Hooper, Meandad, Imran, Andy Waller, John T Rose, Brian McMillan, Dermot Reeve, Winston Benjamin, and Mike Whitney. Rob, um, I know you don't like to be driven by stats. How are you concluding? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Willie Watson, not number six. He can go to number eleven and push everyone up, but you don't worry about doing it now. So another New Zealand bowler, very good at the death, underrated at the death actually. So that gives me three death bowlers, four new ball bowlers, a couple of useful middle order wicket takers. It's a longish tail, but actually in those days in that tournament, the tail kind of didn't do a lot anyway. And with that top five. I think that's fine. Capital to for a bit of bish bosh at the end and Harrison Patel if need to be. Patel got 99 in a test match that winter, so he was fine. So yes, I needed a sixth bowl. I was tempted by Hick, but Hick gone, so I'll re-jig the balance. That's six proper Skip bowlers. Up. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. Probably Capital Dev, but I don't know. I'll have a think. Okay. Okay, look, so that's, that's us concluded. Um... A quick assessment of Andrew's then. Um, there's a lot of names in there, isn't there, Andrew? You're you're very you're very good at getting the eye catching players and these things. It's almost as if you know how the public works. Um, happy, <laughs> happy right, apart, from, weaknesses. apart from Kepler Vessels, which Vessels, still yeah. disgusts me that I've I've I've, I've gone there. Um, I'm very happy with that. I I as I say, I would have loved to have, have snuck in Carl Hooper as my spinner. That was that was my wild card, but I was too busy picking the glamour names elsewhere. Mm. Um, uh, Roger Harper, I'm very happy with him as a, as a substitute. He, 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 he's great, great counterfactual. What what could have been in his career? Who's your other death bowl apart from Waz? Come back to you on that. Um, <laughs> Donald, actually, Donald was really good at the death, but I just can't get past Dermot Reeves taking him to the country. No, fair enough. Because of how weird it was. But in the rest of the tournament, he was brilliant at the death. Chris Lewis could bowl at the death, I'm sure. Nah, he, he was in this tournament in particular, he was brilliant with the new ball, like really yeah. hot. The death, he got that he got tagged a little bit, but then yeah. it's you know, I don't know, maybe I maybe won't need the death. I quite, actually, who would be the only ball? Swing them out in the, in, the, in, the, in the top top five. There's a case. Five, there's five. a case in that attack for not giving Wes the new ball, Lewis mm. and Pringle, which was England's pair worked really well. Wes had a bit of trouble with the white ball, 
and then yeah, obviously Midland. Yeah, McDonald did his best work as first change as well. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Exactly. Imagine that, Lewis and Pringle keeping Donald on there while he's waiting. <laughs> Imagine though, if you're a batsman and you've got through the first ten overs, then you see a double change. On comes eighteen. Mm, Again, with time, um, a little against as gents. Anything anyone wants to say about Andrew's 11 plus or uh, I dare say minus, given that it's the Indy. competition. But... Indy's a big, what's the word they use? Well, it's better than the opposition, better Person. than the alternatives. No, the um, in fancy football they use, differential. Indy's a big differential, mm. number mm. six. Okay, and Wazim, yeah. That team could get rolled though. Great shot makers, but all out one thirty coming as well. That's why I've gone for Kepler. You see, he's he's not he's not budging. Long tail, a uh, short tail as well, which is always good. Bring at ten. It's a lot shorter than mine. <laughs> okay, folks. Jonathan, um, Jones, both from Kirsten Crow, Ranatunga, Hick, Richardson, Defratis, uh, Prabakar, Ellingworth, and Brandes. Um, happier than ninety nine or? Um, yeah, no, I'm very happy. I mean, the, the, I think the three four it's an absolute powerhouse for performances in this tournament. I mean, there are it's runs galore in this lineup. There's a lot of depth. The batting down to Ingworth at ten. I'm probably one thing I'm lacking is probably someone who could, you know, with the ball could strike out of nowhere. The bowling is all very similar. It's all very medium swing bowling. But I've got both of them, and with the both them factor, as we all know, mm. anything can happen. <laughs> Absolutely right. Any any. Glaring issues there, gents. Hick at six is a bit low. You could maybe push him up and push people down, but that's just my yeah, that, that's true. Jones, true. Jones yeah. batted three, although he could have Kirsten opened in one game and opened very well, mm. actually. You could argue sure. if you put Kirsten. I could yeah. swap Hick and uh, Ranatonga around, actually. Have Hick at five, Ranatonga six. It's all much of it. But Hick, Hick was a great player of spin, great player of pace in, in ODI cricket. You can bat Not... anywhere. This yeah. Okay. Much stuff will get him. Gary. Uh... Stuart, Raja, Hooper, Meandad, Cad, Waller, Rhodes, McMillan, Reeve, Benjamin, Whitney. Do you want to make your case to the nation for this selection? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fairly pleased with it. There's a there's a, a glaring deficit, which I'll come to in a moment. But I got what I wanted, which is I, I've got nine batsmen or nine players who certainly are mm. in the all-rounder or batting category. I've got a, a very good wicketkeeper. I've got tremendous leadership through the captain who, who took his team to the final and, and he has two of his key men uh, as uh, alongside him uh, in Imran along uh, with Ramiz Raja and Javed Miandad. Um, I'm okay with my spinner. Uh, I've got a left armour uh, in there, um, but I am uh, short of, of genuine pace because... Um, Winston Benjamin was quick, but he certainly wasn't Alan Donald or Wasim Akram uh, there. Mm. So uh, in the main, I, I, I like I like my eleven because it gives plenty of options to the best captain in one day cricket. One could argue one of the uh, the greatest cap display of captaincy in the history of one day cricket. So if you've got a captain like that, why not give him the options? And I have. Fair enough, Rob. Give me a captain, and then. State your case for your selection. Could have made fair captain actually because he was a very smart cricketer. Did he captain Lancashire in one day? I think he did. I think oh, yeah, he did. But he, he was, was a really. He was a smart captain. I think. He was a smart cricketer, and he's a decent bloke, and he's a good leader of men, as we've seen now as an agent. Yeah. Well, 
I quite like the kind of use of specialists. Um, there was a tournament really of singles, not boundaries, apart from a few exceptions, people like Great Batch. And I quite like the fact Smith and sorry, Jones and Fairbrother will run a lot of them, and Fairbrother and Harris will stop out of a lot of them. But it's mainly the attack, really. I want six proper bowlers, um, cover everything really. Mushtak is the kind of X factor of the tournament, along with Wazim. So that was always a big one. Patel, unhittable at the start, which will put even more pressure on against Mushtak. Akib Jarvid taking big wickets and new ball. Watson at the death with Harris and Kappel. Yeah, I'm crappy with that. Wouldn't have minded a wicket keeper, proper wicket, but anyway. anyway. Boone, didn't, Boone did fine as far as I'm aware in those two games. Um, and yeah, was batting brilliantly. So, um, Any final comments on Rob's for anyone? Not much pace in that time, to be fair. And, and is it great batch? Just just look at Great Batch's stats again. It's just remarkable that you know he he only ever gets given a sort of secondary mention as the great pinch hitter because of what Sri Lanka went and did in yeah. '96. But he really did stand out. Uh, what as, I like as, is as how accidental it was, and how accidental yeah, exactly. It was. The other thing is interesting quickly about Great Batch and Imran's another one in this tournament to an even more extreme degree. It was kind of almost dot ball or six for a while. Like Imran would get forty four of eighty with two sixes and one four. Um, great batch as well was often getting even in the semi-final he gets 13 off 20 balls I think with two sixes um, so that's quite interesting particularly in the context of the tournament which was often about ones and twos um, yeah, yeah I, I, long I tail, it is a long tail but I, what I would say is in this tournament the lower yeah. order didn't do a lot of work Brian McMillan was the only person back seven or lower who got 100 runs in the whole tournament so Patel and Harris could bat they just didn't do it very well in this tournament yeah I'd have them the other way round, but you know that's a minor point. I probably have to pack. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a sucker for historical accuracy, so yeah. I'm as New Zealand had them. Zinzan, oh. Chris Zinzan Harris, isn't it? It's a great name. Yeah, like Zinzan Brook. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, pleasure as always, and listeners, you get to decide who has captured the 1992 World Cup the best. Not who has the shiniest names or the most impressive careers throughout their time, but who has indeed got the spirit of this World Cup. Um, absolutely bob on. Uh, and you'll do that in the usual places. And we'll also put up uh, a fifth eleven of unselectables, maybe the big names who didn't quite shine um, to ram home the point. But that has been uh, a pleasure, gentlemen, and an education. And the real point of these shows is is to look back at these tournaments, these seasons, whatever they may be, uh, in a different way. And I've, I've certainly enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Gary. Thank you. A delight. Thank you, Andrew. Always a pleasure. Really good fun. Thank you, Jonathan. No worries. Thank you. And to you, Mr. Smythe, last again, <laughs> we'll need to just get, get a new random generator <laughs> for you, I think. Thanks, everyone. Lots of fun. <laughs> Uh, we will, that that's finished for the moment anyway our cricket drafts will be back with a few more football ones before we take a break for paternity Christmas whatever it may be and back in the new year until next time bye for now